All right, good morning, everybody. One of the, uh, one of the things, looking back to last week and the message that I shared with you guys, I, I didn't, that I, a piece of it I didn't bring out. And I want to bring it out here because it's, it's really a dream of mine that I want to share with you about this church. Uh, last week, you may remember that we talked about the, the core value, the, the DNA statement, that we go together, that together we are the people who bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the community, to one another. And it comes from this passage uh, in Philippians 1.27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus so that when, whether, and this is, the, this is the phrase I want to point to today or, or right now, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. Th- this is the dream that I just want to throw out there, that people would hear that the, the character of this church, the thing that we are about together, is the good news of Jesus. But, that that would, is what would be heard. They wouldn't hear, any, they may hear other things, but the loudest thing, the refrain that's above all of those things would be that we go together in communicating the gospel of Jesus and we live that out, just like you said, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And I just, I, I wanted to go back to that and, and, and say that to you as something that I, I feel like if we're, if we're constantly thinking, not necessarily about a reputation, but what people hear about this church, and if you are a believer here, then this is what they hear about you individually and us as a body, wherever we are, from Gunnison to this end of the valley and on up, wherever we are, that that is what they are hearing. That, that would be, that is a dream. I'm excited about that, and I love the fact that Paul puts it in there in those, in those exact words. Let me hear that. But the thing is that we're in this series where we're looking at these DNA statements, these things that make up who the people of Obi Joyful are, what this church is about, where we're going, um, the, the, those key things. And there's just four of them. And so one of them is we go together. We just talked about that one. Today we're going to talk about the one where we say we abide in Jesus. And are you clicking along with me, just waiting to see what I say? Why don't you click one and I'll do that, whatever you click. Okay, so we pass the baton. We're looking towards the next generation. We're always handing off leadership and moving forward. And finally, we are heat and light. And we have those little icons, those little pictures to help somebody like me remember what each of those things are because I can't remember the phrases without a picture to go in my head. So today, we're dropping into this one that is really obviously very critical. We abide in Jesus. And we're going to go to a passage in uh, John 15. So if you want to turn there uh, move your uh, phone or whatever you're looking at to that passage, John 15, 1 through 5. But let me tell you what the main point is. This is the main, the main thing. We're trying to understand what it means to abide in Jesus. And what I think the Bible is saying to us right here, what Jesus is saying is what it means to abide in Jesus is that we draw all of our life from him. If we're abiding in Jesus, we're drawing all of our life from him. And I'm going to try to show that to you as we walk through the, the passage this morning. Uh, let's, let's read it together. John 15, uh, 1 through 5. Jesus says to his closest followers, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. From apart, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Pretty powerful statement. And the setting is important. I just want to run through that quickly with you because Jesus has just gone through this last supper with his followers. So it's the small group of people that are his closest disciples. And somewhere between that moment and the moment where we get to the, him being betrayed uh, by Judas on the hill up in the garden, that's this is the time when Jesus is communicating all of this to them. And if you look in John, uh, after the Last Supper, there just is a, a lot of, if, you're a, if you have one of those Bibles that has red letters where Jesus talks, it's like red for miles. Okay, so just look at it. He he, these are Jesus' last words. These are the last things that Jesus is going to say. So they must be pretty important. And he, it's like he's feeding them from the fire hose. And, and here is one of those statements. He makes some really strong statements and, and we just read a section of that. But this idea of abiding the vine, fruit, branches, and that kind of thing, it runs through this piece, and we want to see what that means. And, and here's, I guess if there's an application, uh, one of the things that comes up if you are reading this passage seriously is that, well, okay, if abiding is so important, well, how do I abide? What, what, what does that look like? And we want to answer that question. We want to look into that. And uh, where is, if abiding is drawing life from, then what do I draw life from? Where am I actually abiding? So I want to ask you to ask yourself, where is it that I am abiding? What am I drawing life from? What is that source of life? Where are you, where am I attempting to draw the water from that feeds my soul? It was a few years ago, I went on a, or I led a trip through the Wimanute. It was about a 50 mile hike with some high school students, and I think there were probably 12 or so of us, and we put a lot of planning into it because it was a multi-day trip, and, you know, trying to move high school kids along uh, that kind of distance takes some effort, and uh, so all that planning, I had thought carefully about the water, you know, where are we going to get water, it was the middle of summer, it was a hot year, we needed to be near the water, right? The thing that I, and it was kind of early in my career of, of leading those trips, and um, I hadn't quite learned the importance of making sure that you can actually drink the water. Okay, and so I know some of you have been in my shoes here. But I, uh, we had this great pump, you know, I spent all this money on. And we had just enough other, uh, like, iodine tablets or something to get out if we had an emergency, right? Because when you're feeding 12 people, you have to have a lot of water, right? So uh, uh, first night, just a few hours into the trip, and... Uh, these the guys that are pumping water come back and they go and and they're holding the two parts of the pump. I'm like, oh man, that's bad. This isn't going to go very well um, because all we've got is about you know half a day more of water. This is the only way we're going to. We, so we're not going to make we're not going to be make, be able to make this trip. We were camped in a valley where there are other people you know traveling as well. So uh, one of the guys who broke the pump, he goes, you know what, hold on. So he ran out and he went to all these different campsites that were on, you know, a mile out down the valley. And he, he offered money to everyone for their pump or for their water treatment system. And so <laughs> he came back with a pump 
that worked. And it was really uh, took forever to pump all our water, but it was now his job. Uh, and it was good that he had a whole bunch of money with him because he got robbed for that thing. However, we got to keep going on the trip. Uh, so regardless of how much you know, preparedness and all the things that we, whatever we do to stay close to Jesus, right? If you're a believer and you're attempting to stay close to Jesus, whatever that looks like, all the effort you do, if we're not actually going to draw our life from him, then it doesn't matter how close you are. You're just observing. We just hear the, the brook. But you can't go any further. He says that. And he says, without me, you can do, there's nothing, right? So there's more than just being close, being around, hearing about, you know, it's, it's you know, showing up at church. That's my, that, that these things that we do to be around Jesus or Jesus' people. What Jesus is saying is that you, I'm calling you to abide in me, draw life from me. So I want to encourage you. What is it you're drawing life from? How do you move that extra step? And we'll, and we'll talk about that this morning. In fact, three, three steps we'll go through that I think Jesus presents to us. One is uh, he's going to present an idea of a new allegiance. I've got three A's today. I'm pretty proud of this. Allegiance, alliance, and assurance. So we have a new allegiance in Jesus that we're going to talk about. There's an alliance, a relationship with him that is new and different certainly than, the, than these guys that he was speaking to us expected. And there is an assurance. There is an assured result of abiding in Jesus, of drawing our life from Jesus. So allegiance, alliance, and assurance. So let's talk about that idea of allegiance. Uh, the reason that I use that word is it's something that we don't see as Americans when we read the passage. So when it starts out, and you read right at the beginning, it says, Jesus, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine. So when we read that, we're like, okay, well, he's going to use a, a metaphor, analogy about a vine, and we're the branches, right? Pretty simple. Get the picture. Okay. You know, just a, it's a story. Well, it meant a whole lot more to the Jewish people that he was talking to. And we have to sort of get ourselves in that place where they were hearing this, because for him to say that was to, to say, I am taking the place of what you think is the most important identity that you have. The vine, the, the grapevine, was the symbol for Israel, okay? So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is that the, the vine that's on our money, no, I, I am the vine. I'm the true vine. And the vine that's on the, the door of our temple, this temple was the center of their worship. He says, no, that's important, but I am the true vine. So what he's saying, it's almost like us with our flag. And, you know, the flag obviously is in, in the news and nationalism is in the news these days, you know, holding on to the core, of the heart of who we are. We all get that, right? Well, the Jews were way, 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 way beyond what any of the, um, the idea of nationalism that we experience. And so when he says, I am the true vine, he is saying something very serious about their flag about their allegiances, about who they were identifying with, about their thousands of years of heritage. Jesus says, all that, I'm the true, I'm the real thing. So if we step into that, we understand that when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's proclaiming a radical new allegiance, not just to those guys. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. So what does that mean to me and you? Uh, so for one thing, I think it's a really good question that you should go to God with when you're spending time with him alone. What does it mean to me, God, that I have a new allegiance in you? 
and that everything is underneath you. Another way to say that might be the nation that we're physically born in is always below or subservient to the nation, the, the kingdom that we are reborn into. So there is an allegiance in following Jesus. And he is calling that out, but we don't see it unless we understand some of the context it's being spoken of. So there's that, this allegiance to, to reallocate their, uh, what they think is most important. And he's taken so much away from them, he's now giving them something new. And of course, these guys are totally confused. Like if you keep reading in John, they're like, what's he talking about? I mean, it comes up just in the next, I think in the next chapter, they, it literally says, they're like talking to each other when he can't hear them. And they're like, what, what is he talking about? <laughs> Sounds like me a lot of times in my spiritual life. So there is, there is the allegiance and then there is an alliance. So let's talk about that for just a second. And what I mean by alliance is not a typical alliance. It's a unique alliance between Jesus and his followers. And it, and it looks something like, it's, it's different because the alliance is something where us, we as his followers, have absolutely nothing to offer. It's not a really beneficial alliance to the one who is making it with us, right? The only reason that we have value is because of his love. And so we remind him and say, God, you love me. That's what gives me value. And therefore, we are able to be in an alliance with, with him. Our part in that alliance is what Jesus is saying in this passage. He says, abide, draw your life from me. This is our part in the alliance that we have with him. Look at it in verse four. He says, abide in me, I will abide in you. An alliance. As the branch cannot bear fruit, we could probably say but, in fact, that word is the same as but. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So how do we abide? I mean, what's the practical stuff? Scott, give me a list. How do we abide? Okay, well, let me give you a couple of ideas. One, I mean, make yourself look good. Find a bunch of rules that you can follow in the Bible and then just stack them up and do all of them the best that you can. Or maybe find another Christian and compare yourself to them and then try to be better than them. Maybe you could do that. But above all, don't make any mistakes. Don't do anything wrong. Okay, so obviously, you know, I'm being facetious, and, and you knew that pretty quickly. But you know what is, is amazing about it, about me saying that, is the truth is, that's what we think. I, I said it, and we all laughed, and we all were like, ah, you know, even common sense says all of our great actions and how good we can, how much we can clean ourselves up and stop doing this or that can never close the gap between us and a holy God, Right? It cannot be done. So we, when I was saying that, you're like, well, okay, whatever, Scott, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense in the Bible all the way through. It is telling us that there is a God who closes the gap and Jesus is going to close that gap. In fact, he's about to close the gap when he's talking to his disciples right now, just after this. And something that's, that's very important in this is understanding what that word abide means. You know, what did he mean when he said abide? What was that word? If you have an NIV and you're looking at that, it's a, it uses the word remain. So there are these two 
I don't think they're competing ideas. I think they're complementary ideas where the translators of the Greek word are trying to help us understand what it means to abide, what it means to do this thing Jesus is asking for. And that abide, if, if, you, if I just asked you to tell me what you think that means, probably we'd come up with the idea of it's like being in house. It's like your home. You, you live there. You go there. It's your home base. It's the place you eat and you go out and you, you, know, you return to, you rest in, right? You abide in that. And you can abide in a relationship. You can abide in all kinds of different things. But we, we get that idea of abiding. But the word remain is also a good translation because it gives the idea of just standing firm in, in that place. Remain in me and I will remain in you, etc. And, and they use that word remain consistently. So those two ideas are important. Uh, but the thing that, that doesn't quite get communicated in, the, in just abiding or the vine, is that the metaphor Jesus is using is he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. In other words, you're not just standing on the principle of me. You're not just living in my house. You are drawing your life from me and without me, you cannot survive. And, and did you see what I'm saying? There's more to it than just living around Jesus. It's, he's saying, Abiding in me means drawing your life from me because I am the vine. And if you will abide in me or remain in me, you're actually staying plugged into the vine and pulling the life-giving nutrients from the vine because you are the branch. I am the branch. Somehow, the branch, the followers of Jesus have an ability to make a decision to sort of disconnect in a way from the vine. Right? Right? He, that's what he says. There are, vi- there are branches that are non-productive. Somehow we can starve ourselves, rebel against the good things that God gives us, this, the beauty of what Jesus is about to give to us in this story. Somehow we have that. So again, I'll come back to the question, how do we abide? If that's what, it, if that's what abiding is, how do we do it? And I want to bring it down to a pretty simple idea, I think. There, there are two aspects of abiding, uh, and they have to do with relationship. When we are in, when we are abiding, we are in relationship. And when we are followers of Jesus, when we've placed our faith in Jesus, then we are um, positionally secure, right? Because he says, we are adopted into his family, Okay? And you don't break the adoption. We are set in the family. Now, whether we live in that family, or abide in that family, then falls somewhat to us. So we are positionally adopted. We are positionally uh, abiding. However, we might not be in relationship. And we all know what that means. If we're married, we know exactly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can have a ring, but you may not be in relationship, right? We can talk about that another time. I have a friend, uh, and we've been friends since before we were born, if that's possible. Uh, my mom and his mom were really good buddies, and when they, they got married, and then they were both involved as they had their kids and were you know, at, those, you know, at the hospital when the babies came, me and my friend Les. I have sort of this policy in my head and my heart, and so whenever somebody says, other than Claire, who's your best friend? Les, my best friend, for sure. There's no question about it. Who's your, you got a best friend? Yes, I do. His name's Les. But that friendship, honestly, is more, unless if you're watching this, 
It's more, (laughs) uh, it's possible. Uh, It's more positional than relationship, right? It's more positional than relational because I talk to Les like every three months. And frankly, it's often when he calls me, right? So I can say all day long that I am Les's best friend. But if you were to say, well, here's my characteristics of a best friend, you know, these, you know, you you talk, you're there for each other, you check in, you're praying for each, you know, all those things that you might say are the characteristics of a best friendship. Well, I couldn't say that I have those, but he's still my best friend, right? So I probably don't have to put all of this together for you, but I mean, are you positionally in relationship with Jesus? Are you really in a relationship where you draw your life from him and what those things might mean, what that, the content of that might look like. It's not about doing all of these things, about being some kind of something or being the best friend ever. No, I think we, we go and we say, Jesus, I, I want to draw my life from you. What am I drawing my life from? How can, you know, talk to him about it. Don't come up with rules to make yourself pretty for him. He's already made you pretty. That's done. So we have allegiance, and then we have this unique alliance that it doesn't really benefit him, it just benefits us. And then this assurance. Several times in the passage, he said, two things are going to happen. If you abide in me, you're going to produce a lot of fruit, and you're going to be... What's the other thing that he says? What's going to happen if you abide? Pruned. Look at verse 5. I'm going to read 5 and then 2. Just they follow that way. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, he is the one that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And then to 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. My father prunes. That it may bear more fruit. So first, you will produce fruit if you are abiding in Jesus. What does that mean? What's the fruit? Some of you have some ideas about what that might look like. When I was probably uh, 10 years old, I went to this Bible memory uh, thing in my church, and it was like a contest, and all the kids were in the Bible memory thing. And I had this distinct memory of my first Bible verse I ever memorized. And I was riding with my dad in this old uh, Dodge Sedan, I still remember this. I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but we're driving up, we're driving around my elementary school on the way to the church, and I'm repeating the verse that I memorized. I'm practicing it because I'm going to win something for remembering this verse. And it was Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I remember it from then. So Paul comes along later and describes what Jesus was talking about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are some of the assured results of abiding in Jesus. And, and after that, Paul says, against these things, there are no law. There is no law. But I like to think, I, would, I think it's better maybe to say, man, aren't these things that you want? Who doesn't want to have those be your character qualities? Seriously. You know, we're talking about going together as a body. 
how, how much easier is, is it going to be to go together as a body if those are the, the fruits, that, the things that are known about us that represent the way we go together? I think that's really cool. The other thing is that you will be pruned. That's kind of a hard statement. He makes 